Hello, East Korea Curve listeners. I am Stefan Leichter, your host today. I am honored to have L.D. Britt with me. Dr. Britt participated in one of our first career casts about four years ago on the opportunities and challenges of our specialty acute care surgery. And he is actually the one that coined this term and the brand of acute care surgery. I do need to take a bit more time than usual to introduce Dr. Britt since he has held so many leadership positions and even that will still be an incomplete list. Dr. Britt is the Henry Ford Professor and Edward Brickhouse Chair of the Department of Surgery at Eastern Virginia Medical School in Norfolk, Virginia. He is a past president of the American College of Surgeons, the American Association for the Surgery of Trauma, the American Surgical Association, and the Southeastern Surgical Congress, and that's just to name a few. Dr. Britt is, uh, Dr. Britt is the past chairman of the Board of Regents of the American College of Surgeons and an author of literally hundreds of peer-reviewed publications and textbooks. Dr. Britt also has been elected to the National Academy of Medicine. Just last year, he was awarded a multi-million dollar grant from the NIH to develop strategies to address healthcare disparities in surgery, and this area and these challenges have been an interest of Dr. Britt throughout his career. Dr. Britt, thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Now, I'm, Dr. Glad, Britt, I'm, glad, I'm glad to be speaking to another acute care surgeon. <laughs> thank you. Uh, now, Dr. Britt, we almost got started with the interview even before the recording, and um, because I mentioned that you gave the annual Scudder Oration at the American College of Surgeons Congress last year in San Diego, uh, you named it Trauma, still the cornerstone of acute care surgery specialty. And for anyone who has not been able to be at the Congress, this is printed in the March edition of the Journal of the American College of Surgeons this year, and I highly recommend it. Um, now, that topic in the title is almost a bit like a follow-up on talks you had given in the past and the East Career Cast four years ago. Um, what made you feel that it's time for a review or another update on this topic? Because I still think people have a that some people are confused. At the end of the day, acute care surgery is really a outgrowth of trauma, but it also adds emergency general surgery and critical care. And those three components make the new specialty acute care surgery. And so I think people are paranoid that we that we are downplaying trauma. We're not. Trauma is still a major component of acute care surgery, but it's not separate from acute care surgery. At the end of the day, do not emphasize an extended uh, brand label when you have a new category. We have a new category in that. That new category is our specialty, which is obviously emergency general surgery, trauma, and critical care. Uh, When we do that, then you violate the basic principle of branding. And then people get confused and say, oh, well, this is just trauma. It's not just trauma. This is much more. This, this, This new specialty covers a, a, a breadth of patients that we weren't covering before, uh, at least most people weren't. And so what yeah. I don't want people to do is go down the road and say trauma and acute care surgery because people are going to be confused. That's like saying ventral hernia and then umbilical hernia. We all know that an umbilical hernia is a ventral hernia. So I want people to, and it's important, that's not a, that's not a name. Uh, it helps you brand especially people understand that people can talk the same language the same nomenclature so that's why i put emphasis on that and and that was an interesting takeaway i had from because in all fairness if you remember that people have amnesia but if you remember uh trauma trauma was dying on the vine people weren't interested in trauma because it became non-operative it became non-operative and 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 again as you know uh, j david richardson uh did a very key article survey that showed that people weren't interested and so while we're not abandoning trauma, it's a major component and cornerstone, 
what made acute care surgery so so vital now and, and people are embracing it because there's a surgical component to it. The emergency general surgery added the surgical component to it that we were losing in trauma. People for some and, reason and have, have, have amnesia really and then obviously just, critical care. And yeah. the reason why I want to emphasize critical care because people say, well, all you did with acute care surgery that we did, because many people have many fingerprints on acute care surgery, is that we just copied what the people are doing in Europe. But that's not true. Europe, the European surgeons, they they don't do critical care. In fact, most of them can't even spell ICU. I mean, I, critical care is a key component of acute care surgery. So the acute care surgery specialty is a unique specialty. It's a new category. And with a new category, you need a new brand or label. The mistake that was made by the, 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 the care, that you don't remember this because you're so young, and I put this in my article in my talk. When the, when the athletic sneaker came out, Cad sneakers, your parents will know what Cad sneakers were. They, they, they put it together, the athletic sneaker. But they made a mistake of trying to extend their brand. They called it Super Cads. Didn't take off. And you know what took off? When a new brand was put on it, a new label, and that was Nike. And the rest is history. I don't want us to make the same mistake with this new specialty because it's a specialty that's needed. So, so I think we have one big takeaway that, that you made now is, first of all, it's not just semantics about how we call ourselves, um, especially this trauma and acute care surgery. And I know there are numerous divisions, fellowships that call themselves exactly that. What we should really emphasize is that trauma is part of the whole concept of acute care surgery, which includes emergency general surgery and surgical critical care, and we'll talk about later, maybe even... Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. And yeah. also, I'm going, to, I'm going to put them on the spot. I'm, I'm on editorial board, and I love Gene Moore and all that, but we have made a big mistake in not changing our organ, our publication organ. The Journal of, of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery should be the Journal of Acute Care Surgery because in all fairness, that's where the confusion comes in. But for some reason, yeah. they said for 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 for, for you know uh, uh, licensing and 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 some other reason, I think we should have just just, just said that we should have just said we're going to call this journal what we're doing, which is acute care surgery. So some of the confusion comes out people that's looking at the, the journal of trauma and acute care surgery. I think it was a huge mistake, and I'll be the first to say that. And I'm on the editorial board. Well, well, I, again, and I, and I do think I, I do think ultimately down the road we're going to have to make a change there. Yeah, it, it is telling that um, I've seen over the last one or two years on, on social media numerous polls about how do you call yourself critical care surgeon, acute care surgeon. Yeah, trauma. I mean it, it, it's, it's confusing. You don't need that. That keeps us from having traction and doing what we need to do. Now, another point that you mentioned was uh, that the original idea of, of why we really extended our specialty from trauma to include more was this lack of interest in trauma. And so, well, the lack of interest in trauma, and in all fairness, not only a lack of interest in trauma, we, we realized that people weren't doing emergency general surgery in a timely manner. Yeah. And we were saying, look, why don't we just take it over? And we had general surgeons that they had to beg to, to come in, and you know that emergency department, people trying to find somebody with a perforated, also perforated appendix. And so finally, I said, why, why don't, and my colleagues agree, why don't we just do emergency general surgery, put it all together along with critical care, and let this be a new specialty. And then once we establish this as a new specialty in the hospital, a lot of people say, oh, you can get a pushback from the general surgeon. Well, really, I knew we weren't going to get a pushback because once the general surgeon realized they didn't have to come in 2 or 3 in the morning to take care of perforated ulcer, perforated appendix, they loved it. In fact, they, they started the canonization process for our sainthood. They were so happy that they didn't have to do this anymore. 
but yeah, it so gave it, but it uh, gave us a timely intervention for problems that were non-traumatic. Yeah, so we're definitely filling several needs there. Um, to go back to the trauma aspect for one second, what I found interesting, and I, I wonder if that's kind of an experience maybe that you had as well or, or your faculty, in the two years that I've been faculty now and two years as fellow before that, actually younger trainees, medical students, residents, um, there seems to be actually more excitement about trauma than ever before. Um, There's more excitement about acute care surgery than ever before, and the reason why, because you, you can find a job. You have transplantation, uh, uh, fellowship-trained transplant surgeons that can't find a job. You have fellowship-trained endocrine surgeons who can't find a job. You have surgical oncology trained uh, 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 surgeons who can't find a job. You can always find a job as an acute care surgeon. So that, and I, and I, some of the best programs that will stay unnamed because I don't want to embarrass anyone, they have their, their, their fellowship trained, uh, transplant surgeons and doing local tenums. Nothing wrong with local tenums, but at the end of the day, this is a need. There is a need for this specialty. Now, in acute care surgery, we had just talked before starting the interview that um, anybody at any academic institution feels that acute care surgery is extremely prevalent. Everybody seems to have an acute care surgery division. But if we actually look nationwide outside the academic places, that is still a very small percentage of hospitals have an acute care surgery service uh, or division. Um, so there's definitely still a need to spread this concept even more. Right? And, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things I put in my article and in, in my presentation is that I never said that we would be able to address the whole workforce need across the country because at the end of the day, most acute care, fellowship, acute care, uh, uh, care surgeons are not going to go to the community setting. So you still need to, in their curriculum, and that's what we're trying to overhaul in the curriculum of the, of the core general surgical training, we still need to make sure they get a robust training in acute care surgery at their, because when those general surgeons are going to be the ones in these community hospitals. Because out of the 4,500 hospitals in the United States, most hospitals are 100 beds or less. And so, yes, you can talk about regionalization, but sometimes you have to take care of things as they come to your hospital. We need the general surgeons to be able to take care of the full spectrum, obviously maybe not at the comprehensive level, but certainly some of the basic things in acute care surgery. So I'm saying that the general surgeons will be, have to complement us with, the, with the, obviously their expertise in the community setting. I've always said that. Now, there's no way training. There's no way training. Even if we have 45 fellowship programs, which I think we'll ultimately have. I think that will probably we'll top off like the pediatric surgeons, uh, at the most maybe 50. You're not going to have that many fellowship trained uh, acute care surgeons that populate all these hospitals. So where does the other component of the workforce come from? It comes from the true general surgeon. So there is so so there's an uptick on the need for. A fully trained general surgeon. I'm not talking about somebody who does breast and, and they are general surgeon. Somebody that does colon rectum general. Surgeon. I'm talking about somebody who's truly practicing the spectrum, along with acute care surgeons at at most of the tertiary hospitals. That's the now, workforce matrix that I see. Surgery is uh, is certainly to demonstrate that acute care surgery really brings a benefit to uh, to patients, most importantly, but also from a revenue perspective to hospitals, cost efficiency. Oh, absolutely. In all fairness, is in all fairness, it's published in April this year. There's a little bit mixed data. Initial studies, individual institutions showed that there was a good benefit, but then more multi-center trials. 
they were not quite able yet to show that there was that much benefit of being in an acute care surgery model. What do you think is, is the cause for for that lack of, of convincing data that we still I have don't think that I don't think we have the definitive model. I don't think we have the sample size because there's no way early intervention, early recognition, you're not going to have better outcomes. So I think the jury is out. I think there's no doubt in my mind as we continue to, because no, we're still relatively young, as we continue to get comprehensive studies and investigative reviews and all that, we're going to show a difference. And so there's no way that early intervention and uh, 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 early recognition, early intervention will not make a difference. So I just think we just we, we don't have the sample size yet. We don't have the definitive article yet. Now, because another the, question I had, since you brought up the the point that the majority of of care for surgical patients will still have to be done at smaller hospitals, um, fewer beds, um, not not having an acute care division. And uh, one thing you brought up is the idea of surgical rescue, almost as an additional component. Well, I'm gonna get. I'm going to give, let me, before you said, I'm going to give Dr. Peisman credit for that because he's the one that his place in Pittsburgh, they realized one of the greatest assets of having the QTS surgical service is surgical rescue. Remember that a lot of the, one of the highest problems that you have is not gallbladder disease and, and, and appendix is actually post-operative complications. Having a service that can make that, recognize that and intervene, uh, it cut down on the morbidity, it cut down on the mortality and saved money. And he published that along with his colleagues at Pittsburgh. So I won't take credit for that, but that's part. In fact, the acute care surgery component, he thought that was something that was so important. He said that's the fourth pillar of acute care surgery. So in addition to emergency general surgery, trauma, and critical care, he added surgical rescue. And just to, uh, to briefly clarify, if uh, some listeners maybe are not 100% familiar with the surgical rescue concept, the idea basically is that if we compare acute care surgery institutions and high-volume institutions with lower-volume non-acute care surgery institutions, the initial complication rate actually is not that different, but the difference really is once patients are sick or they have complications, that's how they, where the survival benefit is in those high-volume institutions. You perfectly outlined it, perfectly. In fact, that's Berkmeyer's article. That, that you superbly, that's true. And so that's a, that's a, that's a real asset of acute care surgery, the surgical rescue part. I had no idea. Even I did not know the magnitude of post-operative complications. And then if you don't have a designated service for that, you have, you, you end up seeing the results. And those usually are bad results. Now, um, to, to switch gears a bit and to go to the training for acute care surgery, because obviously many of your listeners are fellows or senior residents interested in a career in acute care surgery. Um, basically, everybody knows by now we have, just like with the name, we have kind of a mix of fellowships. We have the one-year um, ACGME accredited surgical critical care fellowship. That's what we're board certified in. Then we've got the two-year AAST accredited acute care surgery fellowship. And as you said, I know when I started looking at fellowships uh, now four years or so ago, I think there were maybe eight or ten places. Now the list is almost up to uh, to 20, I think. Right, um, it's 20. It's 20. And then we've got places who offer a second year in trauma, but it's not in this double AST model. Um, I assume you're still a big proponent, obviously, of the two-year double AST. Well, let me tell you why. Because in all fairness, you that. cannot. The reason I'm, I'm a big proponent of because think about it. You can't. We want this fellowship to be able to allow you to take the critical care boards. You can't do that without having that designated year. 
So you're not my my original idea was having a three year where we would be able to put in some electives like obviously neurosurgeon orthopedics. That was a ban because most most people said that they no one's going to do an additional three years. So I, I understood that, but there's yeah. no way you can do acute care surgery for less than two years because. What you want is to be able to be uh, able to sit for the board exam for critical care, and that requires essentially nine months a year. Now, from the from the curriculum perspective, and this kind of echoes some uh, career paths we had in the last couple of uh, months with East about different aspects of the acute care practice. One big thing is minimally invasive surgery. It's no longer good enough to say I'm an acute care surgeon. All I do are open big cases. So, do you think maybe there should be some some change in the curriculum, maybe a little bit away from the ortho and neuro rotations, more minimally invasive surgery. But no, in all fairness, most products, would that be in the acute care model? No, no, no. Think about it. Most most programs now, and I remember I was chair of RSC. Most programs now, that's, they get enough. They get a lot of minimally invasive. So somebody who's a general surgeon, which is that's the that's the core. That person has a lot of minimally invasive. Whether or not we need to get in robotics, I don't think we need to get in robotics of this. I mean, that might be part of the, your elective, but you, a lot of programs are even revving up for the core general surgeons to learn, uh, put in their curriculum to learn robotics. I don't think we need to do any more as far as the fellowship because they're getting that in their core training. That we're increasing the, the, the requirements for minimally invasive. At some point, they might even ask to increase the requirements for robotics. I don't see that, but that might be the case. The general surgery curriculum has changed enough that people applying for fellowships, they have the minimally invasive training. I don't think we need to expand the fellowship to add more minimally invasive. Because at the end of the day, if somebody's hemodynamically labile, you are not, well, that's a contraindication to, to, to doing laparoscopy, as you know. Absolutely. Not, but, but in all fairness, you're not going to find general surgeons like when I came out, and some people knew, and some people. Right now, that's part of that's part of what you do your training for cord surgery. So I don't think you need to add even more before the, for the uh, for the uh, acute care surgery fellowship. So okay, I disagree okay. with my colleagues that feel that we need to do that. I don't think we do. Okay. Now, um, uh, kind of related to the training, um, do you think we should push for a uh, for an official? ABS board certification of the I'm glad AAA. you said that. I'm okay, glad you said that. You've got to be careful what you wish for. My mother used to say that. Let me tell you what you – remember, if you, you notice that transplantation, the transplant fellowships, they, they don't care because they, they want their fellow to be able to build and be a junior attendant. You can't do that if it's ACGME, and you can't go for board certification unless you're ACGME. So let's be careful here. If we go for board certification and an ACGME, those fellows cannot be considered junior attendings and bill. I'm not sure we want to go that route. I prefer the route that, that Wayne Meredith highlighted, and I put it in my article. He said, look, we're already general surgeons who are board certified. Okay, Then you do the critical care, you're board certified. I would be more an advocate for having a, a board certification in trauma. That way that the true acute care surgeon, certified as acute care surgeon, is somebody who's boarded in general surgery, already boarded in, in critical care, and now be boarded in trauma. And that trifecta is your specialty, acute care surgery, as far as being board certified. I don't think acute care surgery fellowship should be under the ACGME because I think it's just too rigid. And most of those fellowships require their fellows to to be a junior attendings and bill. And that's why you'll, you'll never see transplantation. I'm glad you're recording this and they can hear me say this. You'll, you will not see transplantation being under ACGME. 
because they need those fellows to help build and be junior attendings. Well, I think it's also not only the billing, but we also know the very strict corset of the work hour restrictions. Oh, so uh, you, you don't even want me to start there. Or, that, uh, or that's, that's, that's a four-hour discussion about the how how non-scientific the eight-hour work week push has been. We don't have any data that, that things are better. We have more complications. We have more mistakes. We Right now, we leave 400, there are 400,000 mistakes based on medical errors. We we leave in the abdomen, in the cavity, 40 objects per week in this country. And that's with the eight-hour work week. That's with timeouts and all of that. So don't even, there's no science behind the eight-hour work week. And I'm hoping that the ACGME leadership is listening to this, this, this Comcast. There was no science in, in generating, and there's no science to say that, it, that, we, that it's better than that, that we have better outcomes. Now, there, there's definitely still lots of, of points to address, I agree. Um, to move to a little bit of yet another direction, um, what you mentioned earlier is really one of the, uh, the big points for having an acute care surgery model is, is the public need. It's not just a specialty that helps with branding or that helps us uh, have cases or make trauma more attractive, but it really benefits patients. Um, it benefits but it does. Disparities, which is your area of research, were in political advocacy, so I was just wondering, without going into too much of that, because I know it can also be a heated discussion, um, what do you think about the more recent changes, the rollback of some of the provisions of the Affordable Care Act? What's going on right now? Should we be more as surgeons and acute care surgeons? Do we need to be more politically active? What should we do for that? And we are. I think the college played, not because I'm past president and past chair of the board and all that, the college has played a great role in advocacy, but right now there's not one surgical specialty that doesn't have uh, health care disparity. There's not one. And acute care surgery is not exempt. Uh, you would think that with acute care surgery, and a lot of people are talking about particularly the trauma component, they, there should be no disparities. You know, somebody's injured, they, they come in, they get the same care. Well, that, we're not seeing that. So at the end of the day, we, the college has played a, a key role in being an advocate for that. Uh, as you know, the, the NIH grant, which I'm the, 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 the principal investigator and I have a great team, is under the aegis of the college. Uh, so I think the college is taking the lead there, and, and hopefully that people will be able to have a template. Right now we are trying to define the metrics of the, of, of, of the early metrics for healthcare disparities, meaning that if we can find early metrics, I'm not talking about the late metrics, then you can maybe put together a strategic intervention to mitigate that. That's what this particular grant is, 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 is focusing on, and we're making progress. I won't give you my data, but we're making progress. And so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, advocacy played a role. And, 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 still in the, right now under, undercover. Say that again now? Is there anything already, any preliminary data that you could share, or is it just no? I, can, I, I can't. I will give me a couple months, and, and let's do this again, and I'll, I'll share all the data we have. But right now, we're just in the throes of it. Sounds good. Now, kind of as, as a closing summary and, uh, and, and outlook, um, what do you think if we plan on talking again in July 2022? That's another four years from now. What do you think are some points maybe that uh, that you think we'll have by that time? change for the better challenges remaining? What do you think you'd say? I'll tell you what will happen. It, it will be an established specialty. I think we'll get the branding right. It will be one of the most popular specialties, and we'll be able to show good outcomes. And I'll be able to address how we have addressed some of the disparities, not just in acute care surgery, but in other components of, of, of surgery, the whole breadth of, of, of surgical disciplines. 
That's what I'm hoping to talk to you four years from now. Well, I would say that's that's quite a positive summary. Any other remarks or uh, or things? No, I can't thank you. I can't thank you. I can't thank you enough because you're the one that that the baton is going to be handed to. So you're going to have to run this leg of the race too. And so far, you're doing a great job. Well, on behalf of the ESQ Development Committee, thanks so much, Dr. Britt, for speaking with us today. I am Stefan Leichter. I hope you enjoyed the program. And uh, please do check out the East website at east.org for more podcasts and other good information from the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. Thank you very much again. Well, thank you so much.